This morning, church family, we are uh, continuing our study in Acts, and I love the Christmas season. And so often during Christmas seasons, we um, focus in on the meanings of Christmas and the Advent season, and the sermons are usually based solely in that. It's Christmas sermon series and things like that. But where we've been in this series of Acts, and we've been uh, completely uh, scripture-based, we're going to continue our journey. We're not going to stop and take a, take a break here and uh, you know, redirect our focus. We're going to stay focused. We're going to stay focused in Acts. So um, if you would, if you have your Bible here today, and you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 11, we're zooming on through this. We've been at it for uh, just a little while now. Uh, and we're zooming on through, and we went from Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and now we've made it to Acts chapter 11, and we're starting in verse 19. And a few times I've told you in Acts, Acts is, I mean, literally, it's the actions. Act is short of action. The actions the, um, uh, that happen in the advancement of the gospel. Essentially, that's what it is. It's the actions, not of the apostles. Oftentimes, if you look, like you open up a King James Version, it'll, uh, Acts is called the Acts of, of the Apostles. Modern, some more modern version just calls it Acts, but a more, more proper and accurate translation is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. God's moving in all of this. We can't forget. So, and it is perfectly timed in a perfect sequence in order for this to happen in a perfect way. Because if not, there would have been roadblocks along the way. But God knows how to make things play out. Let's look at Acts chapter 11, and then we'll give a little bit of, uh, of context in that as well. So we shift scenes, and now we're looking uh, at Antioch the church in the city called Antioch. Here's what it says. Now, those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached, uh, reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and large number of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Then in verse 27, we continue. In those days, some prophets came down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. And this took place during the reign, the reign of Claudius. 
Each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. Before we break this down and we look into this, let's pray about it. If you'll pray with me. God, today, as we uh, unpack your word, God, I pray that your spirit moves in this discussion. Father, I pray uh, that everything that, that, that I say is directed by your spirit. And Father, that this is divided rightly as you would see it. And God, ultimately, may we have receiving hearts. For all those listening in and all those here today, may we have hearts that are receptive to the principles of this passage and to the application of this passage in our lives. God, may you illuminate the words to us in a way you never have before. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as I said, we are in this, in this journey in Acts, and we've seen, we're at this scene that really doesn't make sense if it's standing by itself. Because there are references and there are appearances by people here that if we haven't been on this journey in Acts, there's some things that really doesn't make sense. Like, all right, all right, so Barnabas, it's a funny name, why is he there? What's that all about? Saul, there's Saul again. We haven't heard Saul for a little bit. What's happening here? These cities that are mentioned, why are they here? And what's the, you know, what's the underlying context of them being brought up? What's all going on here? So ultimately, what we saw in the first 10 chapters is a long, drawn-out version of one major act. That essentially happens. The Holy Spirit came. We saw. We now have a full picture. Of what the gospel needs to look like. Let me say that again. We have now a fuller and a more complete picture. Of how the advancement of the gospel needs to look. We know. Why. The gospel. We know how it happened. We know where it happened. We know when it happened. We know how to do it. But now we have a more complete picture is we know who it's for. We now fully understand who the gospel, who Jesus, who the salvation through the name of Jesus Christ is for. And we found out last week that Jesus did not just come and die for Jews alone. As the Jews suspected, as the Jews had always been taught as they have always been understood for generation upon generation of generation, the Jews have been told that they are God's chosen people. And that's what the scripture says. But something changed. A major change, a major shift in understanding of what the gospel is just happened. That not only is Jesus, did Jesus come and die for the Jews, for the sins, forgiveness of the sins of the Jews. He came and he died for everyone. And getting that picture of everyone is kind of hard to fathom. It's hard to, to fully comprehend what that means. Because we know it. We've been told it, we understand it, and that's accepted by us. But imagine if you were in the shoes of the Jewish people, of those chosen people. I mean, the Jewest of the Jews, as I like to say. They're the ones that have been told, that have 
essentially lineage that have suffered the trials and the pain, that have went through the difficulties and being obedient as they have been, they deserve to be where they are and they deserve this. But for them, that's what they think, for them to say, okay, now it's for everyone, even the people that I despise, Jesus is for you. It's hard to comprehend for us. Because the Gentiles, they were not just less than. It wasn't here are the Jews and then here are the Gentiles kind of underneath them. It was Jews and then anybody that's not a Jew, you do not deserve to be even in my presence. You are unclean. And if I even essentially have a conversation and, uh, with you and spend time with you, you could rub off on me and I would be unclean and I can't be around you. So it's not just feeling like you're left out if you're a Gentile. You are feeling worthless, useless, and unworthy on all accounts to even consider God. But now, things have changed. And, and understanding what happened is Peter sees this. And we know what happened. And Peter had this amazing vision. And he goes and he shares Jesus with everyone, with Cornelius, as we remember, is this Gentile uh, captain or commander of um, uh, of a Roman army in that little segregation there that's in that city. Um, he shared that, and Peter went into their house, which was huge in itself. He ate a meal with them, which is un- how dare him even consider that, but he completely included them. But then what happens right before this is that when Peter shares Jesus with them, and shares that they receive the greatest confirmation of all, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And that's something that no one could argue. God moved in this. God showed his ultimate approval and gave them the Holy Spirit. And when that happened, no one could argue it. So the Jews said, okay, this must be real. This is legit. All right, we're going to go with it. We're going to go with it. And that's kind of where we are right now. Do they ultimately embrace that? No. But they're going with it. And it's going to take someone, it's going to take something to continue to push this to be victorious. Let me give you an example. Um, In... In baseball, right? In baseball, you have a starting pitcher. And that starting pitcher comes and starts the game and gets you on the right path. But on about the fourth, fifth, sixth inning, the arm starts to hurt and someone needs to come in to carry them to the next level. So they ultimately bring in a a relief pitcher, right? And this relief pitcher comes in is the one that the manager chooses is that perfect one that has the right type of pitches, the right arm speed, and the right understanding of the batters that they're going to face in that exact situation that he chooses to come in. Because there there are several different relievers that they can choose from. And so the manager chooses the right one for the opponent that they're up against. And ultimately that's what has to happen if you want to be victorious. And at the very end of the game, they have the closer. The one that usually comes in ninth inning, last inning, where you need that perfect 
those perfect pitches to get those last few outs so that you can win the game. The scenario has to happen just right. And this is kind of what we're seeing here. Because Peter starts the game, right? Peter starts, uh, he, he starts the advancement of the gospel to the Gentiles, to everyone. And in Peter doing this, he's getting the ball rolling. They're hearing about it. We're going to see that a reliever's got to come in. And they choose, they have to choose the right reliever in the right situation. And look what they do. Let's, let, let's go back to our scripture, starting in verse 19. Let's see what happens here. Now, those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen, remember that? Stephen was that guy who was martyred, who was the first Christian martyr. He was stoned, he was, rocks were thrown at him, he was killed for his beliefs that he would not deny Jesus, but he continued to preach the power of Jesus. Remember that? When that happened, when that happened, that persecution started to, all right, the Christians, the believers, started to realize they were looking around like, oh, man, look what just happened to Stephen. Look what's happening here. We got to get out of here. In that happening, the devil had, uh, had an intention to stop Christianity, but in God turned that around and scattered Christianity and spread it in a way that we can't, that's not fully explained, but we're seeing it happen, and we're seeing it unfold right now. And watch what, and see how God did this. This persecution, when Stephen died and he was martyred, it's now spread out to Phoenicia, to Cyprus, to Antioch, way beyond the confines of their little um, uh, Holy Land area right there, their little little uh, bubble, I guess, that they were in. They were comfortable. But God turned that and spread them out and made them get uncomfortable. When this happened, when they were going, though, and, and spread out beyond Judea, they started sharing the gospel. But they were only sharing it with Jews because that's all they understood. And they still knew that, or they still thought that Jesus was just for the Jews. Okay? So, uh, but... But, in verse 20, there were still some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks. Hold on. The Hellenistic Jews, as they would say, those that aren't the Jewest of the Jews, right? The Greek-speaking folk. And they were proclaiming the good news about Jesus to more than just their little bubble there. All right. So this is now already starting to unfold and starting to happen. And because they were doing this, the Lord's, look what the scripture says, the Lord's hand was with them. The Lord's hand was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Now it's important for us to know, Christians, it's important for us to know that a ministry cannot turn people to the Lord unless the hand of the Lord is with it. The Lord has to bless it and it has to be an intention and part of the intention of God for that to happen. Okay? You can turn people to a personality. Some of the most powerful, most personable pastors, people are in love with those, those evangelists. Uh, Stephen Furtick, he's this guy that, that, that he has followers, hundreds of thousands of followers, and people love him. 
But I guarantee you that they love him as a personal a person in his personality, and they aren't truly turned to Jesus. There's a big chunk of those. They just like him as a person. They like what he says. You can turn to a personality. We can turn, people can be turned to a social club. People can be, be turned, uh, turn people to an institution. You can turn people even to a church. But you cannot turn people to the Lord. You cannot turn people to the Lord, as the scripture says, without the hand of the Lord in it. And that is uh, instrumental for our, our personal relationship. You've got to ask yourself, do I love the church? Do I love this, this, this evangelist? Do I love this thought of being a Christian? Or do I fully, truly love Jesus? Has God moved in your life? Has God moved in your life? News about them, verse 22. News about them uh, reached the church in Jerusalem. So this is spreading out. Word spreads, right? And like, uh-oh, can you believe they're, they're telling, teaching Jesus to other people? What is happening here? This is the, the hottest topic of conversation right now, right? So news is spread and it's reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent out Barnabas. You know, remember who Barnabas is? We talked about him a little bit. They sent out Barnabas. He was the man the, uh, that was called the son of encouragement. In Acts chapter 8, you remember in or chapter 4, and verse 36, it said this, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, he sold a field he owned and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So he was that one that sold his land, and then when he sold this land that he owned, he gave all that land to the apostles, or gave all that money to the apostles because he was so invested in the church. He wanted this to work, right? And it was, it was something that impressed so many people, but he was genuine in his faith and, he, faith, and he didn't do it so that everybody could see it, but he did it because he wanted, he loved the Lord that much, right? So he was somebody that was so admired by the church, not just that, not just because of that, but Barnabas was also the one um, that took in Saul. Remember, uh, in, in chapter 9, here's what it said. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road that the Lord had talked to him and how, the, how in Damascus he'd spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas was that advocate for Saul. When you remember Saul had that vision, Saul used to be a murderer, a persecutor of Christians, and now everybody feared him, but now he's been changed and nobody would listen to him. They'd be scared of him unless they had an advocate. Barnabas was that advocate and said, this guy's okay. He wants to help the church. Trust him. Barnabas was that guy. So now Barnabas comes back to the scene again, and here's the, the man that they call in. Here's, the, here's a part of the reliever, the relief rotation that's here, okay? Barnabas gets called in. Look what Barnabas does. They sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived, when Barnabas arrived there and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a large numbers of people were added to the Lord. A large number of people were added because look what he did 
when this was happening, when they sent him out, he started growing the church, not just by numbers. When we see, oftentimes when we talk about growing the church, we, we immediately think of uh, uh, external thoughts of, okay, well, they've got a lot more people attending church, more people believing. But growth is so much more than numbers. Growth is spiritual. He grew the church in, in understanding and in relationship with Jesus. That's the kind of growth that, that we should desire. We should desire a growth where, uh, they, where he does it. Look what it says. It says, he was glad he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. Remaining true and being of such devotion that we're continuing to grow and understand who God is and how much he loves us. And a large number of people were added to the Lord as a result of that growth. That spiritual growth. Barnabas essentially was the reliever, right? And the early reliever. And there's a few different types, and I'm talking to you, and some of you know baseball, and some of you know baseball way more than me, probably better than me. And then some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about, all right? Well, we're going we're to run with this, all right? So Barnabas was essentially the early reliever, and then sometimes late in the innings, you need another reliever to come on. Somebody that's just perfect to set up, a setup man, to set up the closer, right? Brock, did I use that right? Is it set up, man? All right, good. Call me out if I'm using this wrong. All right, so you got a set up, man. Saul essentially setting this up. Saul comes on the scene. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. Who's he? Barnabas. Barnabas said, okay, I'm growing this church. This is set, and now we've got to have somebody else. We need somebody with the perfect skill set, the perfect amount of passion, the perfect amount of energy, and the perfect resolve to come in and to, to meet the needs to make this happen. Saul was the man he needed. Saul was the man he needed. Verse 25, then he was, went to Tarsus to search for Saul. When it says search, when, and I say this, that let me define search as the Greek translation is, it's to literally hunt him up. He had to go hunting for Saul. He had to do some looking, a laborious search that happened. So he goes, he doesn't just go knock on one door and say, hey, buddy, you want to do this? He spends some time, then he goes and he searches, and he finds Saul. Verse 26 says, and when he found him, when Barnabas finds Saul, remember Saul, the, 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 the guy that was persecuting the church, but now is, has had this amazing transformation into a a guy that goes out and becomes ultimately the, one, the greatest missionary, planting churches everywhere, Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And, and for a whole year, they met with the church, and they taught large numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So up to this point, all these disciples, these believers in Jesus, this is now where the term Christian happens. So now we're here at the Christians. A Christian is literally translated as not somebody who believes about Jesus, not somebody who, who understands and accepts who Jesus is, right? Or somebody who, who um, uh, defines himself as a member of a church. But a Christian is literally someone who belongs to Christ. Not belonging to a group, not belonging to a religion. You are belonging to Christ. And you define yourself as someone who belongs to 
Jesus Christ. Christians, we belong to Jesus. And that's how we have to define ourselves. And someone asks you if you are a Christian, you aren't saying, yeah, I go to this church. No, that's not the question. The question is, do you belong to Jesus? That is what we should ask ourselves. Do we, do we not just belong to Jesus, but do we seek out Jesus' desires in our life? Do we live a life, ultimately, that, that, that glorifies Jesus? And that's a question that that's, should be, not should be, that should be, we should ask ourselves every day. Seeking the will of Christ every day in our life and striving to glorify Christ every day in our life because that's who we belong to. And if we belong to someone, our goal should be to, to make them happy, to live obediently to them, not just to, to call them Savior, but to embrace them and to surrender to them as Lord. He has lordship over our life. We belong to Jesus. In verse 27 through 30, I'm going to read through this real quick. 27 through 30 is a setup for where we're going to be next week. Or not a setup, more of a transition from where we are now to where we get to next week. But I'm going to read this, and we're going to read it next Sunday as well. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the reign of Claudius. Each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. And we're going to see what happens with this. And we're going to see, ultimately, some persecution come down to this. Because when good things happen, targets are placed on our back. When good things happen, for God, targets are placed on our back. As the worship team comes up, I'm going to finish up. Uh, actually, it's just rough this this time. Um, I'm going to finish up the analogy that we started with the whole baseball pitching, right? Um, <clears throat> in this setup, we see we started with Peter, and Peter starts to advance the gospel. He is being obedient, and he realizes, hey, this Jesus thing, this gospel, is not just for Jews, but it's for everyone. For whosoever believes, whosoever, not whichever Jew believes, whosoever is all-inclusive. Every single person, regardless of your status, regardless of who you are, regardless of how low you think you are and how worthless you may feel or how worthless you may have been told you are that the world tells you you are, you are still loved. So much you are still loved. And that Jesus is for you. So Peter goes and he spreads that, and then he sends Barnabas. Barnabas comes onto the scene as someone that is so trusted, someone that is highly loved and respected by the church. And God knew that this church needed to advance a little bit more. This church not just needed to grow in number alone, but this church needed to grow in faith, in righteousness, in spirit, and in understanding of who God is. So Barnabas grows the church from the inside out. You grow strong at your core, and then the whole world's going to look at what's going on there. I want to be a part of that. 
They didn't go out and do this crazy outreach and they go door to door knock and say, we want you to come. But they did it. They did the outreach by being so strong in who they were that everybody wanted to come to them because they noticed what they had and they wanted some of that. Because peace and hope, this world can't give. But they had something that the world couldn't offer. And they had Jesus. And so in this setup, in this rotation, Peter comes, and then Barnabas comes in there, and he pushes him. And they've almost got this whole gospel, uh, the advancement of the gospel working. It's going well. But there's some people that are still struggling. And they need to set it up to find the ultimate setup. So they go and they get the best person on the market and they go and they find Saul. Saul, the man who's the least deserving to be anyone considered as perfect for God's use. God uses him. And Saul, as you see, along with Barnabas, are working together to grow this church, to grow this gospel message. And now they've got it all set up perfect for the closer to come in. And as I said, nothing can happen without the Spirit of God involved. God can use us plain Jane people. But unless it, our blessing, his blessings involved, they're not going to be any turning to the Lord. And so ultimately, the closer, the Holy Spirit, had to come in. And this is the setup that has to happen. This is us in our lives. So many people can preach the message to you. You can have it drilled into your head. You can know the word better than anybody. But unless you let God and the Spirit move in your life, that turning to the Lord doesn't happen. It is a decision that you make that God is trying. And he's searching after you. And we hear this all the time. God is searching. God is after you. And he's seeking you. But until you let him come in, until you let the closer do his thing, all this is just knowledge. It's just knowledge. It's just information. This is cool. This is great how all this works. But God has got to move. You have to let him. So today I'm asking you, God's been hitting you with the word. You've been hearing all about this Jesus thing now that the Christmas season's here. Jesus is everywhere, nativity is everywhere, and it's such a beautiful sight and makes us feel all warm inside, but that's where it ends for far too many people. Just feeling warm inside is not enough. Have we fully surrendered to Jesus? And is this reminding us, God, thank you, because I'm the most broken person. I deserve nothing that you've done for me. But God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus, because in spite of my shortcomings, in spite of how broken, how undeserving I am, you gave me Jesus. You gave us Jesus. We're going to sing just about our brokenness and his goodness that we, in our, our brokenness, are made perfect through Jesus Christ. While we sing today, I pray that you make it make that a promise to God that the words we sing are a prayer that we're surrendering we're giving our life to Christ more and more I'm going to pray for you right now before we sing 
God, for every person here today, for every person in the earshot of what we're saying, God, I pray that the walls, the boundaries that we put up are overcome, that you allow your spirit to move, that your hand is in this, and that we turn to you. That regardless of the, the external things that happen over and over again and the understandings that we have, there has to be a surrender on the inside. And God, I pray that your spirit moves in every life. If there's someone here today that has just been on the fence and I just, I don't know if I'm ready, I don't know if I'm there and I don't know, just give me some time, Lord. I'll do it when the time is right. For today is the day the Lord has made and the time for, for salvation is today. Let today be the day of salvation. And God, if we've given our hearts to you, let us be right now making a recommitment. I know I've fallen short, Lord. Forgive me. I want to do better. So, Father, on behalf of everyone, I pray these things to you. Let us be a people that live for you, that are not Christians as defined by a member of the church, but a Christian defined by belonging to you. Jesus Christ, we belong to you right now. God, we love you in Jesus' name.